Jesus. Anything else? Take your Bible with me this morning and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, I, I never get tired of talking about the glory of God. Never. I mean, I, when, I, when I think about the gospel revelation and what we're going to deal with this morning about that, 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 that he says here that for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The one that always pops into my mind when I think about the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I can't get Moses out of my mind. Lord, if I found grace in your eyes, show me your glory. And God tells him, I'll do this thing that you've requested. I'll show you my glory. And what's your glory? I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And listen, I know this much. God cannot show mercy, and he cannot show compassion just for the sake of showing mercy or compassion. He must be just when he does so. He must be, have been satisfied to show mercy. And the only way he can show mercy and show compassion as he has been satisfied through the person and work of his God-sent Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reconcile his people to himself. That's, that's the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you what, to begin this message, if you have not seen God's glory, I'm going to tell you what, every one of us do. If you've not seen God's glory, you don't know God's grace. The scriptures cannot be any clearer on that. It's got nothing to do with how I feel or I think. It's do you see that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing your trespasses unto you? Do you see that? That there's not one sin past, not one sin present, and not one sin in the future will ever be charged to me. You don't see that, you don't know the God I know. And if you don't know the God I know, you don't know the God of these scriptures. Man, you just don't. If you go back into 2 Corinthians, I don't want you to turn over there. I'll just read it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through verse 17, Paul wrote this to these same people that he's talking about and talking to concerning this ministry that they've been given. He says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. Now, what did he come there to do? To preach Christ's gospel. Why are we in this world? To preach Christ's gospel. We get to raise our families, be with our spouses, have employment, enjoy the things of time and sense, but we cannot allow the things of time and sense, the things that we enjoy and love so much, to distract us or divert us or prevent us from doing what we, like Paul, have been sent to do. To do what? To preach Christ. He said, I preach Christ's gospel. And a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. 
Now thanks be unto God, which always causes me to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest. He reveals. God does this. He reveals the savor of his knowledge in every place. And listen to me. Everywhere the gospel's preached, even if people don't believe it, you know it's still been revealed. The savor of of his knowledge is revealed. If men hate it, reject it, if they, if they do like they did Stephen and seek to kill it, or they do like they did when they sought to kill our Lord, God's grace is still revealed. It's out there. Now listen to this. For we are unto God. And by we, Paul says, just, not just me, not just the apostles, but all of us, every believer, We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, you and me, as we preach this gospel, we are a savor of death unto death. And to the other, a savor of life unto life. And the Apostle Paul then cries out this question, Who is sufficient for these things. You think about the responsibility we have when we teach speak the gospel to somebody. Savor of life unto life, savor of death unto death. For we be not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak. Can you say anything else? Henry used to say, Pastor Mahan used to always say, when you preach, you're writing a gospel message, you're prepared to preach and teach it. He said, in the introduction, preach Christ. Tell everybody what you're going to preach about Christ. Then when you get to your body of your sermon, you know what you do? You preach the Christ as you told everybody what you're going to talk about in the other part. And like those false apostles, those he vividly described by these words, listen, this is how he described the false apostles, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed. And this is where this religious world loses out. He transforms himself into what? Everybody in my day, you know, what the, you know what the biggest hang up with most people is today? That they're letting trends, not, they're letting, uh, what are them people dress up like women? <laughs> no, not, not, no, the, the, where they have those, they put on those performances where drag queen. The big deal, every, the religious world has lost their mind over drag queens talking before kids. You say, that, that's Satan's work. Would he say Satan transforms himself into? Uh, an angel of light. That ain't light. You hear me? Ungodliness and immorality, he ain't transforming himself into that. How did he approach our parents in the garden? Oh, he certainly was a serpent. I don't know what he was, but I, 
He was a beautiful creature, whatever he was. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a snake like you see in all these pictures wrapped around a vine somewhere. It says he was a beautiful creature with great appearance. And what did he talk about? Yea, hath God said. Right? And he goes on. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers, they transform themselves into what? Preachers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their belly. Paul and all who believe on God's Christ dogmatically and simplistically go forth with the same gospel ministry. That's what we do. That's what he said in our text that we've looked at for the last Three or four weeks, he said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine into him. That's what we're put here for. That's why we yet live and breathe. And that's what we're called into. Every one of us. Not just me. I am your pastor. I am set here for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So this is a responsibility not just to the pulpit, but those who sit in the pew. We are all Christ's ambassadors. Paul made it very plain that there are many who will never hear our words. Those who will despise it and even hate us for the truth's sake. Nonetheless, our ministry of the gospel is not a failure. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perishing. To the one we are a savor of life unto death unto death and to the other we are a savor of life unto life. You think about this, to the non-elect, to those who the scriptures call vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, the gospel message of God's free grace is their condemnation. That's such an awful thing to consider, is it not? Preach the gospel in the freeness, in fullness, in the hope that it presents is to their condemnation. And knowing that to be the case, I can understand full well why Paul said, who's sufficient for these things? But here's the thing. It's the truth of the gospel. Remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said to those Jews? Those Jews that hated him and sought his destruction. He said to them, why do you not understand my speech? They had ears, right? Ears to hear, eyes to see, heart and mind to understand. He said, why do you not understand my speech? Here's the, because you cannot hear my word. Here's the, here's the key. He that is of God, heareth God's word. You, therefore, 
Hear them not because you're not of God. Now let's look at our text for this morning. Look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 5 through 7. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Boy, those are three strong verses. Thank God for verse 5. For we preach not ourselves. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. You know the true gospel preacher, he doesn't, he doesn't want a following. You show me a man that wants people to follow him, and I'll show you a man that's not following Christ. That's just truth. The literal translation of this verse, verse 5, is this. For not ourselves do we preach. In other words, they, they never pointed to themselves, but Christ Jesus. Lord, and ourselves, your servants, because of Jesus. See, that's why we're his servants, because of what he did. We love him. We serve him. We obey him. Why? Because he first loved us. Paul was always, you, you listen, to, he was always true to the words that he wrote under divine inspiration. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But before he made that statement, he said this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not in excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. In other words, it's got nothing to do with the man. I've told you this before. If I stuttered like Mel Tillis, if I still speak the truth, hear it for the truth's sake, Think about this. Think about the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Yet he says here, he was not an excellent speaker. And that's what most people go to church. Boy, man, he's so eloquent in the way that he speaks. He's, he's such an orator. If he ain't spoke about Christ, pardon the bad English, I don't care how good an orator he is, he ain't worth listening to. If you go out of here this morning thinking about anything other than Christ, who he is, what he did, what he actually accomplished, I have failed in preaching the gospel to you this morning. I have. And see, the reason for this, the reason he was always faithful to what he was moved to write was because the same spirit that inspired him to write the words, what did it do? It dwelt in him. And listen to me, we can go further than that. The same spirit that dwelt in Paul who wrote these words, where does that spirit dwell right now? I, let that be with you every moment of your life. Those are the things we need to think about. We have Christ's spirit in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. When we're wayward, who's with us? Who then dwells us still? Who never leaves us? 
who never forsakes us, who, who always, in spite of ourselves, is able to keep us from falling and present us to himself, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in himself. Who does that? The Holy Spirit, the one who indwells us. Paul said this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Does he dwell in you? <laughs> if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of you. These words of our text reveal to us the reason why Paul could so boldly and dogmatically declare of himself and all God's ambassadors, we don't faint. We faint not. We keep up in spite of everything. He, he was faced with death. What did he keep doing? We're faced with a few miles, and what do we do? Faced with a little problem or difficulty, what do we do? He says, we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, walking in, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. See, Paul knew and he understood that in this matter of God calling his elect to true faith and true repentance, it does not depend on us. It doesn't depend on name. It doesn't depend on reputation. And folks, it doesn't even depend on the delivery of the one sent of God, but it depends on the message that they herald. What do we herald? What do we hold forth before men and women? The ministry reconciliation. By these words, Paul tells us that he himself, the apostles, they didn't preach any doctrines of their own creation. When somebody says, I found something new, or let me give you some new light that I got, be very leery. They didn't set set themselves up as lords over men's faith and over men's consciences. They didn't use the gospel ministry as something by which they could profit themselves with earthly gain. They didn't preach about sinners getting holier. They didn't preach about sinners getting new and improved with each passing day. And they certainly didn't preach that men had any power or any ability to do anything spiritually good or that sinners' justification and salvation were by works of righteousness. What Paul told the elders at the church of Ephesus, he said, and how I kept back nothing from you which was profitable, but have showed unto you and have taught you both publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, without exception, Jew or Greek, rich or poor, repentance toward God, even faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The false, false apostles, they couldn't say that. They couldn't say any of this about their method or their message. Paul preached Christ in both his person and in his work, and he trusted God to be faithful to his promise to use his voice to call out his sheep to true faith and true repentance. 
He trusted what his Lord said, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and there will be one fold and one shepherd. And folks, we have to follow Paul's instructions, and we have to follow his example to preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. But here's something else. In ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. When we preach Christ Jesus the Lord, we have to realize, you know what we are? We're servants of his church. That's who we serve. And, and he says this, ourselves, your servants. Not the world. Servants of his church. Why? For Christ's sake. For Jesus' sake. I looked up that word, and I added this into my notes right before I left the house this morning. That word translated servant, it means a slave. And it says this in a definition, metaphorically, one who gives himself up to another's will, those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing Christ's cause among men. He said, that's why we're your servants, because we're extending Christ's cause in his name among his people. And then look at verse 6 and 7. To me, these are so interesting. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, words are so interesting. I, and I always, I, every time when I'm studying a passage, I, I look at every single solitary word and look at every different definition and way that the words use. And I found something interesting. You know, look at verse 5, and how does verse 5 start? It starts with the English word for, right? You look down at verse 6, and if we're reading in English, and like Miss Davis taught us in English, far means far, right? <laughs> same word. Got to mean the same thing. But the thing I find so interesting about this, that word far, translated far here for God, to begin in verse 6, it's a different word with a different meaning than the word translated for in verse 5. In verse 5, the word for, you know what it actually means? F-O-R. <laughs> it means for. But the word translated for is a completely different Greek word in verse 6, and it means because or since. It's kind of like when the apostles in other places use the words therefore. In other words, Paul here in this verse, verse 5 and 6, he's given us the cause for this great change in the method and ministry of himself, the apostles, and all those who believe through the preaching out of God's gospel. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves is this. What made the difference between Saul of Tarsus going down that road to Damascus with that letter in his hand to find everybody who was of that way to bring them up to Jerusalem and put them on trial and the Apostle Paul? What, what made the difference? I guess to make it personal, we'd go this way. What makes the difference in all those who were formerly, myself included, enemies of God, a child of wrath by nature, makes us now his servants, willing bond slaves. 
Well, here's the scriptural answer. For God who commands, since God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I'd have you to notice how the apostle puts all the emphasis on who here. It's not on man. It's on the true and living God. You think about the first part of this verse. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Where does this carry us back to? It carries us all the way back to where I read this morning. Right? Turn back over there to Genesis chapter 1. Carries us back to eternity past. When God sovereignly determined to speak everything we know and everything that we see into existence. And it has nothing to do with anything that men call climate change or anything else. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who did it? God did. And I tell you what, if he created it, who's the only one that can destroy it? We're going to ruin our planet. We don't do something by 2050, they're not going to have anything to live on. I'm going to tell you what, the scripture, I, I believe God's word. He says, as long as this thing exists, you know what? There's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be seasons. It ain't going away. You hear me? They can come up with all the stupid science they want to. This thing will stand until God Almighty says it's done. And I it's the height of self-righteousness from sinful, foolish men to think that we can somehow destroy what God put into motion. It's like, I tell you what, this, this, the climate change and all that's going on in our society has become a new religion, is what it's become. Everything's about saving Mother Earth. It ain't got nothing to do with Mother Earth. God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form. You see that? Before he, before he dealt with it, it had no form to it. It was void. Darkness was upon it. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the water. And God said what? Let there be light. Right? You know, out of this darkness, God spoke in what? He said, let there be light. And then 50 billion years later, light appeared. Or however many light years it takes to, for the light from the sun to get here. They say it takes seven minutes, I think. I don't know. It, I, I tell you what, when God said, let there be light, Kenny, there was light. It wasn't a process. It was instantaneous. And it, it, the thing is, at his command, light, you, you think you do this, light came out of darkness. Standing on nothing, God said, let there be light, light. By way of comparison, what does the Apostle Paul do here? He states that the same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, we've been studying on our Wednesday night uh, Bible study, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and there are two acts of creation our Lord Jesus Christ did in His first two miracles that showed that like the Father created all things, He Himself had creation power. He turned water into wine. And not just any wine. 
he turned it into that which would excel Dom Perignon. It was the best wine. Right? And then he had 5,000 men plus women and children, and he said, what do we have provisions? And they said, we got five barley loaves and two fish. And our Lord took five loaves and two fish, and he blessed them, and he prepared them and break them and gave it to them and told them, tell them he told the men to tell them all sit down. And they sat down, and he said, you dispense. And I thought about that when we talked about that. Other. Think how long it took to give out food to 5,000 folks. And when they got done, after everybody had all that they wanted, they gathered up 12 basketfuls. Our Lord just kept creating. <laughs> you could, you could, they didn't get a little <laughs> a quarter inch piece of fish. They got enough that they were all filled, picked up 12 baskets over. And he says, this same God that created, I create. And he says that this same God that shined light out of darkness, what's he done? He hath shined in our hearts. He doesn't try to shine in them. Nor does he send a small glow or flicker of light to his people and hope that somehow or another they'll respond. Keep in mind, in the context of what Paul's already said in the previous verses, the gospel light, it's hid to them that are lost. They'll never see it. The reprobate is without hope. But to those whom God hath shined in our hearts, they see. It's not a possibility. They might see. They see. And what do they see? They see Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Christ, the wisdom of God, and Christ, the power of God. We see it. John Gill wrote on these verses, he says, For as there was darkness upon the earth before there was light, so there is natural darkness in the minds of men before any spiritual light shines into them. And his light was the first production out of darkness and unformed chaos. So light is the first thing that is struck into the soul in regeneration and conversion. Moreover, as light was the effect of almighty power, so is the spiritual illumination or the opening of the eyes of the understanding of men who are born naturally blind. And his light was a creation of that which had not been before. So the work of grace on a soul, I like this now. The work of grace on a soul is not an increase of or an addition to or an improvement of the light of nature, but it is a new light. It is a new light created in the understanding by God who is light. <laughs> Paul makes it very clear what this shining light is to them that are saved. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
I love Young's little translation, this verse, because it is God who said, out of darkness light is to shine. Who did shine in our hearts, now listen to this, for the enlightening of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. First thing I gained from Paul's words is that since men by nature are in such spiritual darkness, you know what has to happen? They have to be made light. They have to be made light in, by, and through the Lord Jesus Christ or they'll never be fit and they'll never be qualified to declare to others Him who is the light of the world. He told them in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine. Right? It's not our light. What's our light? The gospel. And if the light hadn't shined on me and I ain't seen the light, I'm not qualified or fit or capable of telling anybody about something I myself do not know. In other words, God, think about it, God shines His light into the heart of His elect creating faith in them, and they in turn hold forth the same light that He's revealed in them to other sinners. And I tell you what, you can't shut them up. (laughs) Our Lord Jesus Christ, when He came into Jerusalem, remember the Jews were going before Him, putting the palm leaves down and crying Hosanna, and the Jews told Him, shut them up. Stop this. They knew what that meant. It was Old Testament prophecy. And our Lord Jesus Christ, what did he say? He said, if I could shut them up, what would happen? The rocks themselves would cry out. You can't shut God's people up. And we have scriptural examples of it. Paul, immediately after he received his sight, after Ananias, you know where they found him at? Next place he was at. He was in the temple preaching Christ. Remember that woman at the well? They'd gone out there in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, to avoid all the women, the wives of the men that she had been sleeping around with. She goes out there. She meets our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord reveals Himself to her, the light of the world. And she, the, the Scriptures are so beautiful in the way that she left her water pot. And she went back into town. And she found every man that she knew. And I think it meant those men that she had been with. And she told them, she said, you come meet a man that told me everything I've ever done. Is not this the one we're supposed to be looking for? It's not this God's Christ. And they went out. (laughs) And they heard him for themselves. They didn't trust her word. They went went to him himself. When they heard him, they said, Now we believe on you that you are the Christ, Son of God, into this world. Lord, that's why I wrote that article. Lord, Lord, give us the the ability to be unafraid and unashamed to shine the gospel light that we claim that we believe and have hope in. Second thing I gain is this the light that's given. What's the light that's given? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That word translated by the phrase of the knowledge, it means the deeper, more perfect, and enlarged knowledge or understanding. People say, I can't know all that. You'll know everything God needs to teach you. I can't teach it to you. I can tell you about it. 
I can point you to it. Can not make you see it? I wish I could. No, I don't. Other, think about, I always think about other sheep I have which are not of this foal. Them also I must bring. I have never tried to, nor do I ever want to add one person to Grace Baptist Church, Kenny. Because I tell you what, the ones that I have added through the years, if I have added any, they're no longer with us. They're not. He adds them. Where are they going to be? They'll stay. Now, they will. The scriptures are clear on that. Here's the same word. Talking with John the Baptist, angel, you know, this was when John the Baptist's mom was talking. I think it was when uh, her husband was speaking. And he says, Now, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Listen to this. To give, here's the same word, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of sins. <laughs> this was John's message. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And here it is again, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet. Listen to this. Guide our feet where? To Grace Baptist Church. No. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That's where I want to be, don't you? In the way of peace. Listen to John's word in his epistle. He says, And we know the Son of God has come and hath given to us an understanding. What's he given to us? He's given to us to understand that we may know him is true. We are in him is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. This is eternal life. This knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ concerns how or on what basis God's just to justify the ungodly. Satan, the God of this world, blinds the reprobate to God's glory in Christ. But to those who are gods by electing grace, by redeeming grace, by saving grace, this light shines by his Holy Spirit through the gospel preached into the hearts of his people, causing them to rest and cling to Christ alone is the Lord our righteousness. Does that make sense? That's the gospel ministry. And that's the gospel message. Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation to wit God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I tell you, as God's redeemed, we're not ashamed of this glorious gospel message. And we have hope in him alone.
is the Lord our righteousness. But look real quick at verse 7, and I'll stop. But we have this treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul calls our gospel, what does he call it? A treasure. A treasure. And you know me and my interest in words. I looked up the word treasure. And you know what it actually means? What it refers to? A coffin. A casket. (laughs) Think about that. A coffin or a casket. What do you place in a coffin or a casket? You ever see, I mean, I, I mean, I'm grateful that people are so solemn when we deal with those that we love that pass away. I have a tendency to think that some funeral homes play on our emotions to the point that we do things that really are over and above and beyond trying to protect our loved ones. I've always told Pam when I die, just put me down under the hill in a windshield box where the dogs are at down there. I don't think you can legally do that in the state of Louisiana. You know, put a bag of lime in there and let me go. But here, the, the, the actual meaning of this word, the meaning of the word treasure, is the place in which goods and precious things are collected and laid up. You think about that the place in which good and precious things are collected and laid up. What are the precious things that are laid up in our gospel? Huh? Every rich and and precious truth the Lord's pleased to use to call his redeemed sons and daughters out of darkness into his marvelous light. And as his ambassadors, his ministers, Paul says we have this treasure. Where do we have it? We got it in the earthen vessel. Clay pots is what that means. And a clay pot's easily broken. And I tell you, we're so weak, are we not? So frail, so easily broken. But thank God, God has chosen the weak and the foolish things of the world to do what? To confound the wise. So that salvation, and the salvation is people, who's the one that receives the glory? Let me read this verse, and I'll stop. Well, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Now think about how God speaks about you and me there. He calls us foolish. He calls us weak. He calls us things that are not. <laughs> calls us base things. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory where? In the Lord. I'll close with this. Every redeemed, justified, regenerated, converted sinner, they wouldn't desire it any other way. That's what salvation by grace is about.
that glorifies and honors him who loved us and gave himself for us. So let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you and keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. All, if you would, dismiss us, please, sir.